0: Hello,
1: and welcome back to this week's episode of Lit AF Relationships with me, your host, Sarah Cohan. As always, I'm so excited to talk with you today about attachment-related things, relationship-related things, and healing your attachments now. I know I just said attachment twice, but that's because it's so important to me. So today, um, I'm actually doing something a little bit different, which is re-airing an episode, a recent episode of In My Non-Expert Opinion, where I was a guest with the fabulous host, Chelsea Reif. She was just featured on this week's episode of um, Almost 30, which I love. Chelsea is amazing. She's a phenomenal entrepreneur and reflector and sensitive, lovely, hilarious soul. I loved this interview. So I really wanted to share it with you all. Chelsea was recently on this podcast talking about healing her attachment style and we went even deeper on her podcast. So I'm really excited to bring this to you today. She talks about how she really healed her anxious attachment style in dating, how she started to share needs with a casual situationship and how that really empowered her to show up in all areas of her life as just, you know, embodied and speaking her truth and sharing her needs in order to get really what she wants. She kind of took the guesswork and the mind reading out of it, which is huge. It's a super fun episode. Chelsea goes deep. She talks about like really high school patterns and previous relationships she was in that was super secure. So, I always love hearing about that. And of course, before I get into this week's episode, I have a check-in, but I'm going to keep it so short because this episode runs a little longer and I I'm just so pumped for you to hear it. So what's going on with me this week? I am just, oh my God, I enjoyed the long holiday. I hope everyone had a long holiday. It was so yummy and wonderful. Yeah, taking time off is so important. <laughs> my husband's like really good at it. and I—that That is one of the things I absolutely cherish about him is that he's really, really good at taking down time. He's also really good at getting me into the present moment, which I fucking love. Especially when I'm like spacing out, <laughs> which is a habit I tend to do. Hello, dissociation. Thank you. Appreciate you for what you're trying to do to my brain. So he's always like, hey, where'd you go? Where? Snap out of it. Come back. Come back. Come back here. But another thing he's really good at is downtime, not working, having strong work boundaries. So I love that about him. I am juggling a lot with my coaching business and another job to cover all the things. So downtime is like really special and especially important. So I'm really grateful for that. And I hope that you, if you got a long weekend, also just had a wonderful time. You know, I've been thinking a lot. Okay, I I know I want to keep this short, but I am going to say one more thing. I've just been thinking a lot about how labor laws have been morphed and fought for to this day. Like I remember, I recently heard someone say that back in the day that women couldn't wear pants. It was like illegal to wear pants. And somebody had to fight for us to wear pants. And I wear pants all the time now, almost every day. And I take it for granted. (laughs) I take it for granted that somebody had to fight for this and that i get to just enjoy without even thinking about how someone had to fight for it just get to enjoy the sheer pleasure of wearing pants with pockets all the time and so i feel that way about vacations and taking time off and like not taking a break throughout the work day like people have fought so hard for the current labor laws that we have now and it just breaks My heart that sometimes I just rush through it all and I'm not appreciative of the fact that, like, we need to take time for lunch. We need to take time for breaks. Like, we need to take time for our vacations. So, I guess rest is the theme for today. (laughs) You probably are picking up on that right now. I'm just catching up to it, but rest is so flipping important and I'm so grateful that we get to have it. And I hope that you get to take it. It's so important, it's a radical act. Here we go. Okay, that's it for my check-in today. So without further ado, let's get let's get into this week's episode, an In My Non-Expert Opinion podcast episode. Thank you so much.
0: What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the show. I am stoked about today's guest, Sarah Cohen, attachment coach, host of the Lit AF podcast. Welcome to the show. Yay. Thanks for having me here. I'm so excited. I am so excited to talk to you because number one, we work together and I healed a lot of my attachment style. But number two, I think you're a great example of how in 2023, you can truly find work and careers and jobs that we didn't have available to us 10 years ago. And this type of healing and this type of work you're doing is just going to make for an incredible next wave of future children of future people in partnerships. Like we're healing so much now that we just didn't have the tools before to do so. So Stoked to have you on, and why don't we get into it? Yeah. Hoops off. Let's get real. Hoops off. I was like, let's go. (laughs) You're dangling against the headphones. (laughs) How did you actually get into attachment coaching? Yeah.
1: So I was doing back in 2020, I had like quit smoking, I quit drinking, and I was just had all this time on my hands. And I was like, what is the meaning of life? I have to figure that out. And so I did a manifestation program like most people were doing in 2020, and it was amazing. And I love the manifestation program, but the the thing that I took away most from it was attachment styles because this particular coach was like integrating attachment styles into her program. And I was like, hmm, uh, this seems this seems like something that's like super resonating with me. I'm gonna kind of follow this. And a friend of mine was also like really into healing attachment styles. So she hooked me up with a personal development school, which is where I ended up getting my teaching or my coaching certification. And it's just been such a game changer because when I first found out about attachment style, I'm, I am a uh, recovering fearful avoidant that's leaning dismissive avoidant. And when I heard about it, it was just like, wow, I really feel seen. I really feel like this system is addressing so many of the issues that I like, have been struggling with my whole life and haven't been, I haven't felt safe sharing with people. Like I was going to a therapist for like probably eight years, but I wasn't really getting that much out of it because I wasn't showing up truthfully, because I really wanted her or there because it was multiple therapists. I wanted their approval. I wanted them to think that I was doing great. <laughs> and it was like the same with manifestation program. Like after doing all of this work, everything that I started manifesting and actually putting on my list of things that I wanted to do in my career changed because everything before that was just like ego driven and like really trying to help me get approval from others or feel like loved and yeah, everything like changed after I started healing my attachment style and all of a sudden it was like, oh, actually I just really want like a boring life. <laughs> a boring life. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to be able to like save for retirement and like maybe buy a house someday. Like I don't need to like go out. Like I had all these goals before. They're like, I need to be a TV show host. And like all of that was just super ego driven. So it's helped me just kind of come back to earth and really like just love all the parts of myself
0: well you do have the personality for a tv host so i'm not gonna like rule that out just yet i know you're like it's ego driven but i wouldn't be surprised in 10 years if we see you hosting a talk show so just throwing it out there that's my goal that's my
1: goal but like it's coming from a way different place of serving now rather than like look at me like please love me
0: (laughs) totally get it So, you were just mentioning attachment styles. And for anyone that doesn't know what we're even talking about, like, what is attachment theory? What is this concept?
1: Yeah. So, attachment theory was born in the 60s. And it's a system that, like, helps us understand how we related to our caregivers. And basically, that helps us understand how we relate to friends, how we relate to our, our romantic partners or partner, whichever one, whichever way you swing. And basically, it helps us understand, like, okay, when we are around people that we care about, are we driven towards them in moments of kind of turbulence or uncertainty, or are we driven away from them in towards like independence? Like, are we trying to be kind of alone or do we want to heal with others? And then, or are we in the middle, which is like, I can ask for help and support from people. I can also work on stuff on my own, like kind of this more balanced, secure place, and then, of course, the fearful avoidant, which I mentioned before, they tend to flip flop between that, like, ge- like geared towards other people or driven towards being themselves, and they <laughs> really struggle with trust because they couldn't trust their caregiver giving growing up. So they are often like hot and cold. They flip flop between the two. They're this. Sm- they technically are the smallest part of the population, but they're the closest to my heart because it's the attachment style that I healed. So. I should say the names. So if you're driven more towards other people, that's um, the anxious, preoccupied type. And this, this type is very like, uh, they love community. They really prioritize relationships over all else. They probably struggle with people-pleasing and boundary setting. They don't love being alone. And they can struggle with feelings of depression. And then the dismissive avoidant on the other side of it is very much like an independent creature. They tend to ghost people because they're like, ah, that's just like, this just this isn't my thing. I'm gonna avoid this conflict. Conflict is like very scary for them. So they're they're like people pleasing, but in a totally different way, which is just ghosting and disappearing. But they often struggle with like a lot of feelings of shame and guilt and like perfectionism. They really want to be perfect and they really want to heal alone. So if anything comes up that's like triggering for them in a in a relationship, they're just like, okay, cool, I'm gonna go deal with my feelings by myself because that's exactly Exactly what they did growing up. And I'm going to come back to you when everything's healed. And like, I expect you to do the same. So, a lot of things come up, obviously, when anxious, preoccupied, and dismissive avoidant people get into a relationship with each other because it's so
0: opposite,
1: but we can get into that.
0: Oh, we'll get into it. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. So I think a lot of people that are online on Instagram, if you are dating, you probably have come across some type of attachment style content before. However, when we started working together, I had never heard of the fearful, dismissive, the preoccupied Mm. language. It was just very kind of cut and dry, like you're anxious or you're avoidant or you're secure. So do you know where these specific... I guess we can call them labels or identifiers or qualifiers, or whatever you want to call them. Who did the research on them and like, where did they actually come up with this? Do you know that background? Yeah, yeah.
1: So John Bowlby and Mary Ainsworth were the, basically the godparents of attachment style. They were the ones that came up with these labels. And basically, they did an experiment with moms and babies to see how the child would react when the mom left the room. And that would basically... Like indicate which attachment style they are. So if you are anxious, preoccupied, and your mom left the room, you would totally freak out and and start crying and be really worried about when they were coming back. And you would be driven towards anyone else that was in the room. So there's like a babysitter or another child, you're like you're going to them and you're looking to them to help soothe you. And then if you're dismissive avoidant and your mom leaves a room, you're just like, cool, didn't even notice. Like don't need her i'm good which as a child is like no you don't like everyone needs someone and then if you're a fearful avoidant you would you would depending on what was going on You like in that moment before you walked in that room, you would react either like driven towards other people, or you would be a little bit more like I'm cool, calm, cool and collected and like, I don't need anyone. And then secure people actually when, when secure babies, when the, when the parent would leave the room, they would actually cry a little bit. They would be like, Oh no, my, my person is gone. But then they would start playing. So it was like they could soothe themselves. They could like understand like, okay, they're going to come back. I'm going to be okay again. And then they would they would be comfortable and safe enough to play in the room. So those are like the how the different labels like came about.
0: Got it. So what's interesting is I think a lot of people, including myself, used to think, oh, if you have a tumultuous, traumatic, very chaotic childhood, then immediately you would just be in the anxious or avoidant, sector so to speak mm. then some people are like i don't understand why i might be anxious or avoidant because my childhood was idyllic like yeah. i didn't have any issues right like i don't nothing happened i had a great life there was no grief or trauma or yelling or anything and so i'm curious like i i do feel that way like when you look back on my childhood i'm like nothing was that crazy but i tend to lean very anxious preoccupied can you explain why that happens like it Can you explain a little bit more why it doesn't have to be a traumatic, chaotic experience to become anxious or avoidant? Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I'll just add to that, that usually that like traumatic, chaotic experience, those people are technically going to be like, or usually you're going to see them more in the fearful avoidant category just because they grew up with a lot of chaos. And so yeah, their baseline is like, continues to be chaos. Like they have a high... They have a high need for, I'm not going to say chaos, but change (laughs) things like quickly changing. So just wanted to add that. So your attachment style can change over time. And what happens with that is like when you create friendships in middle school, which can be a very traumatizing experience, you can experience like friend groups that will, especially like, I'm just thinking like mean girls came out when I was in college and I was just like, dang, like that really like explains a lot of my childhood. (laughs) And so you could have a friend in middle school that was like, one day is your bestie. And then the next day they're like, I'm out. Like you're a loser. Like I don't want to hang out with you anymore. That can affect your attachment style. Romantic relationships can affect your attachment style. And as an adult, like um, being in a relationship with someone that is struggling with addiction, that can really drive people towards an anxious attachment style because they're inconsistent. So they one day they're like sober, showing up like how they normally are and then a couple of drinks later they're like a completely different person. So that will create this like inconsistency from your romantic partner that from you will create this like anxious attachment style cuz you're like I don't know what I'm going to get. But if I just keep like dri- being like driven towards you, I'm going to find support. So that's one way that it can change. And then another way that it can change is, sorry, hold on. What was the word we were going to say? The parental figure. There's so many different other factors. So there's a lot of like environmental factors, race plays into this, socioeconomic background plays into this. So all of these larger things that are going on, if you identify with like as an LGBTQ person, like all of these like factors, these environmental factors can affect how you show up in the world and how you get love and support and how you can like feel confident showing up. So that can really affect your attachment style. So I'm curious when you hear all of those, like, does anything come up for you of like what
0: might have happened or what could have affected it? Yeah, I think the consistency thing of people showing up resonates and probably middle school and just moving schools a lot. Mm. So the first thing that comes to mind is my dad always worked Monday through Thursday at a job remotely, like out of state. Every single week for as long as I can remember in like elementary, middle school, and maybe even high school years. And he always came back during the weekend. So it's not like he was, you know, an absent father, he was very much involved in our lives. I think it was the fact that he was gone during the week. Mm, And then during the weekend, usually is when I go play with my friends, right? That's like friend time, because the week is academic time. So I think it was just like, Maybe the absence of his presence. And then I also think we talked about this when we worked together that my younger siblings, they're very, very close in age and they had a lot of medical issues. And so they were mm. constantly just at like doctor's appointments and, you know, going to get visits and things done. And with my dad being gone, my mom had to take more care of them because I was pretty independent. And my mom has told me this, that she's like, you were fine. Like you would get dressed for school by yourself. You would make your own lunch. You would play on the computer for hours. You're fine. Games you would ride your bike like you were independent. And looking back, I think that I could probably pinpoint that as, oh, that felt in the time it didn't feel like a big deal. But probably as I got older, it's like, oh, look, other people get attention more than you, and so like you have to be independent. That stands out. And I think, yeah, I changed schools three times in elementary school. I changed schools twice in middle school, and then uh, senior, not senior year, like high school. I was supposed to actually change schools again and go play volleyball at this better school. And I was like, no, I need to stay in one school because at that point, I think I had been to like five different schools. And as you said, meeting new friends, the environment changed so much. In seventh grade, I went to a school in Utah that was very Mormon. And so that like making friends there and being judged for not being Mormon and dressing quite differently than Mormons do and not believing that. And then all of a sudden, jumping into a middle school that was like, Probably like euphoria. It's like people are having (laughs) doing sexual things in the lunch line. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like, shady things are going down in the locker room. Like, that was just (laughs) such a jarring experience. And like, my friend groups changed. So I think that probably now speaking about it out loud played a big role too. Wow. That's huge. That is so huge.
1: And I just want to add for anyone listening that's like maybe swinging a little bit more dismissive avoidant, like, Similar factors like the consistency will affect the anxious attachment style similar factors for the dismissive avoidant are like if you feel like you're consistently getting mocked at for having feelings if um, like the big like the overarching theme of this is like neglect like if you are just neglected as a child but when I heard that I was like I wasn't neglected as a child and then when I started digging deeper and doing the research it was like, oh, like your feelings aren't allowed they're not encouraged. It's not safe to have feelings. And then in addition to that, you might feel like you're often laughed at for having feelings. So if those, like, if you're find yourself in a situation where like any of those are true for you, it could even be a job or a boss. Like those can like start to affect your attachment style and like bring parts of your attachment style out of you. So I just add that for anyone that's like on the other side of it, like that those could be things that maybe you're dealing with.
0: Right. So it sounds like maybe it's not even just physical neglect. It could just be emotional neglect. Yes. You're not getting enough attention that siblings are or your yes. your friends at school. Or it sounds like even teachers could play a role in this. Yes. Big time, especially for se- secure folks. So secure folks
1: tend to have specific core wounds related to like a one issue growing up. So they're, I mean, s- secure is kind of the goal. It's the the, the waypoint, but they also aren't perfect either, right? Like they've got their own set of insecurities based on specific moments from their childhood. So that, and usually the example of a teacher that like maybe... Um, this particular teacher just thought you were like lazy or you weren't working hard enough or your work was never good enough, that can have an effect on you. And you'll think like, oh, like, okay, cool. I'm secure. I can really deal with my emotions. I can ask for support. I can have this like interdependent relationship. It's a give take, but I think I'm a bad student. And so that's like, that's the area for secure people, particularly not just school, but I just mean like, Stories like that are areas that um, you can heal your own attachment style as well.
0: Got it. So, when we're talking about attachment theory, is it really just in the context of romantic relationships or does it apply to everywhere of your life?
1: It applies to every area of your life. At least that's my experience. Most of the research is in, most of the research actually has been done with. <laughs> row moms and babies which is really unfortunate because fathers are attachment styles types we have um, same-sex marriages these days like there's so many different definitions of re- like relationships and caregivers and I think that extends to our adult life as well. so when I was started to heal my attachment style I was like really took a look at my attachment style with money. And I was like, dang, I got a real fearful avoidant relationship with money. I like really wanted it. The fearful avoidant relationship is very much like, give me love. I want it so bad. And then as soon as you get it, you're like, this isn't safe. Get it away. Like you need to stop. (laughs) So I would be like, I want money so bad. And then it would come and I'd be like, I'm going to spend all of this. I cannot have it. And so I like got into $20,000 of debt because I just like really did not want to actually have money. (laughs) There's also like when I work with clients, as you know, like we go through the wheel of life. So we go through different areas of your life, your career, the attachment style, like your attachment style really shows up in career with your boss, with your colleagues, with your clients, those types of things. We also work on like the physical area of your body, like your relationship to your actual body, like your house, your temple. So yeah, it, it really, I think personally, it goes into all areas of our life. What's been your experience? What do you think?
0: Yeah, that's interesting because I think we talked about this even in our work together where I feel like very secure in most areas of my life. Yeah. I think I think finances always can feel a little bit triggering, especially as an entrepreneur when you're dealing with, you know, the influx and dips that come month to month. And I worked on that a lot with a coach and programs, et cetera. But like with friends and my actual job, like I have no problem being like, I'm not going to go tonight or I'm going to leave early or I'm going to just say how I feel or even with team members, I'm not afraid to be like, "Hey, this isn't working for me. Can we like update this?" But if you asked me to do that with a partner, if mm. you said, "Hey, go tell your partner or the guy you're dating, hey, this isn't working for me. I need to change this," I would spiral out of control, have like a mental breakdown, feel you know a like a gut punch in my stomach, mm. and just completely overthink it. And I'm curious, why do you think that is? Maybe in my case, we can use my example of like, yeah. I don't feel anxious or fearful avoidant in probably some bigger areas of my life, but I feel incredibly anxious in relationships. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I, first of all, thank you for sharing all of this. Like, it's so helpful to hear other people's stories, like going through it. So, for your specific attachment type, like, I wonder when I was speaking earlier about like how your attachment is formed, like, you kind of hit on this already, but. I wonder, like, what area of your life do you think really kind of mirrors how you're showing up for or how you were showing up in your romantic area?
0: Yeah, it probably is the experience of chasing down, like, approval or validation from parental figures or even other people in school and guys. Now I've been talking about this out loud in college I was in a sorority and it was very much like the movies. It was like Mean Girls. I mean, wow. we did have we haven't we had an online burn book that was anonymous. Ooh, like it was ooh. insane. So now <laughs> thinking about that, it was very jarring that you would be I don't know, going on a date with someone or you would hang out that week and then literally 2 days later you would see them leaving the bar with someone else mm. and then another week later you would see them fully going on a I don't know, a date function or something with them which yeah. it's like a sorority party. So basically I had to deal with this for four years of just like watching guys I had crushes on or had actually hooked up with just like leave and go with someone else. And so I think that now I'm thinking about it out loud. I think a lot of that comes from needing that approval and attention, especially from male figures.
1: Yeah. And like consistency. I think too, that like you talked about like your dad leaving and not coming back or like, being gone for the week and that your time, your social time was on the weekend. And so you really just didn't get that time. Right. And so that's like that inconsistency, it sounds like is a theme. And so that can really kind of wear away at this particular area of your life. And the beauty of this work is that you have so many different areas of your life where you're secure. So you can pull on that for inspiration. Like, I love telling this to clients like, Oh, okay, so let's zoom out like if let's say this wasn't a romantic relationship like let's say this is a work relationship let's say that this is like what would you do in your secure relationship to your friends and then how would can you emulate that in this situation like you can totally pull on that because i, I what i've found is that people everyone that i've worked with has a secure area of their life they just have to identify it and sometimes it's like with one caregiver so sometimes it's like i have a super secure relationship with my father I have a wildly insecure relationship with my mom. It's like, great, we only need one. We can pull on that, like the um, behaviors and
0: strategies that you use with that one secure relationship and apply that to the others. That makes sense. I have a question with the consistency thing because, for example, we'll go back to the dad one. Yes, it was inconsistent that I didn't see him seven days a week, but I always knew he's coming back Thursday night and he leaves Sunday night. So it's like I had that schedule in my head. I knew he was coming back. Do you know why it is maybe your nervous system doesn't read it that way or like why that might happen? That's interesting. I'm curious, like...
1: And to be really like, I just want to share, I rarely go back to to, like, when I'm working with clients, like we're working in the present moment. And so what happened in the past is like, that's really important to, to work with a therapist on. I think that that's where like the real difference is between a coach and a therapist. Like when you're going back on childhood memories and being like, what happened here? That's like, I want you to be working with a qualified individual to do that. But since we're here and I think we're in a safe space I would say, like, what were the feelings that came up when he was when he was leaving?
0: Mm, that's a good question. I think, I mean, it's hard to even tell because it was so long ago that I can't really pinpoint, yeah, the exact feelings. I'm sure there were times where I was, like, disappointed that, oh, he can't come to the game or he can't do this. So it was probably just a mix of, like, just disappointment and like, Oh, I wish she was here because he, but then on the weekends he was very present. He would come to the tournaments and play and do all the things. So maybe it was just also like going from intense periods of like, Oh, we're going to see each other all the time to then switching to wait. Now you have four days off. That might make more sense. Yeah. And that like sadness and disappointment, it sounds like those
1: moments are like, we can't blow past them. Like those are really important to honor and grieve as adults. Because those, those are the moments where it's like, fuck man, like my dad was great and I needed more, like I needed more care. I needed more time with him. I needed like, like there's going to be moments we can have the best parents in the world. And there's going to be moments where we didn't get what we needed or we didn't get what we wanted. And so that's like, to me, that's the work of like working with the therapist is going back through those moments and realizing like, oof, this was a tender moment. And like, I really need to process these emotions at that time, right? So I I just think this work is so powerful to help do that. (laughs) But like, okay, so when you put those pieces together, does that kind of like help really like help you understand like, okay, maybe this is why the romantic area of my life is so charged?
0: Yeah, a hundred percent. And to your point about doing this work along with therapy, while you and I were working together, I did also have a weekly therapist and I, I could get I don't want to say further, but I could process more, right? If I'm having two calls a week, one with you and one of my therapists, it's like, of course, I'm getting deeper and deeper every time. So I 100% agree. If you're going to hire someone like Sarah, which you should, also consider a therapist to process maybe some of the past stuff. So Yes. I
1: I love it when my clients are doing both at the same time. It's like, okay, you're going to go so far, like... You're gonna process all of this.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, I did a lot of processing, which I want to talk about. That like the present day, what really drew me to your work was I just noticed there was a pattern in my relationships that no matter what, no matter how many, how many can't speak, no matter how many podcasts I listened to or books I read or you know things I saw on Instagram, I was like I feel like I just keep repeating this pattern mm-hmm. of choosing unavailable partners, emotionally detached partners, guys that I could just tell you maybe a month in, we wouldn't last, but I would extend the relationship as long as I possibly could until it was like, okay, now we have no choice but to break up. And I'm like, why does that show up? Like if I truly want a genuine, healthy, long-term, honest relationship these patterns need to be fixed. So we started working together. And like I've said, I've definitely lean anxious. And my tendencies are to do a lot of imaginary math, a lot of overthinking, a lot of like putting puzzle pieces together. You would call it mind reading. Like I would be like, well, I don't know. I just think this text means this. And I'm going to assume based on his past behaviors that this means this. And so I wanted to work on that because I'm like, I just don't want to attract a partner or bring any of that energy into a future relationship. So when we started working together, what are some things like when you do start working with a client that you do to figure out what attachment style they are and how they can start working on it. Yeah.
1: So when I'm first working with clients, I always do like, I have this list of 40 questions and it's just, it's like the first two sessions are just discovery questions. So I'm getting to know them. I'm getting to know their relationships, their romantic partner relationships, their family relationships. What's their life with their siblings? What are their patterns? and these questions help to answer like okay how do they react in certain situations are they dealing with feelings like what common feelings are they dealing with is it sadness is it a depression is it fear of rejection is it shame and guilt or is the big th- the underlying theme of all of these questions trust because that like trust is a really big one like i said earlier for fearful avoidance And, um, that'll just like come through in every answer to the question. And to be quite honest, like when I'm working with clients, I'll change certain things for anxious preoccupied versus dismissive avoidant versus fearful avoidant. But the format is still all the same. Like here's the deal. Like anxious preoccupied are dealing with people pleasing, but over here, dismissive avoidance are dealing with like just disappearing. Like the, Actions, like what the words they're saying might be different, but the action is still the same. They're just like kind of retreating into themselves and really like worrying about the other person and and not stating their needs and not sharing their boundaries. So the actual work itself is, is quite similar for all attachment types. And I find that sometimes, and you said this earlier um, this week, is that sometimes the attachment label, people get really attached to that. And they're like, okay, well, I'm dismissive avoidant. So this is why I'm reacting this way. And I'm like, that's great. But it's also a spectrum. Like we can be dismissive avoidant in one area of life and maybe a little bit more anxious in another area of our life. We can be dismissive avoidant, but maybe like a little bit more towards secure in the financial area of our life. Like we show up differently with different attachment types based on the other people that are around us. So I'm not too, too worried about someone's specific attachment style when they first come in, just because the work is all the same. <laughs> and it's like, it's so profound. Like that's like why I think the attachment system is, uh, it's so, uh, it's not perfect. It has a lot of flaws, but it addresses so many of the issues that that show up that rob us of like
0: showing up to a situation confidently. Oh my gosh, yeah, one of the first things we did together was identify my needs, and I think that was really powerful because I had never done that before. I didn't have any type of filter to like understand what my needs were. And as we started to identify them, you know, you would push me to be like, okay, how are you meeting your needs? How are you asking for your needs met in a partnership? Let's work on that. What was interesting about the work we did together is I started kind of dating someone while we were working together. So it was almost like we had a real life experiment to work through where I was like, oh, Sarah, like, yes, I I did my homework, but also this real life thing happened today. I'm triggered. I feel like I'm gonna start crying if I bring this up to them because I think a lot of anxious people, that's their fear is direct, honest communication because you're afraid you're gonna get abandoned and they're just gonna like pick up and leave. And so when I was bringing those I guess scenarios to you of like this happened and I don't know how to deal with it. And I was very nervous. Like when you would be like, you just need to say this, how do you deal with clients that are like, I am fucking terrified of speaking my true feelings and my needs. Oh, this is so good. So sharing needs is
1: like the most important thing. I mean, it was the most like transformative experience I would say of like healing my own attachment style, just understanding what they are getting comfortable with meeting them on my own. And it was during COVID and, and like, I was just, I had a lot of time on my hands to like play around with it. So I, I love, I love doing this work with other people because it's like such a profound experience to be like, oh, I actually just need to feel comfort all day long. Like <laughs> that's all it is. I need to go line my bed after I'm done with work for 10 minutes just so I can feel some comfort. Like simple things that can really make your day. That's really what needs are. There's usually some story around ha- being, having a need. Like, I remember I showed up to my therapist's office. I was in couples counseling for a long time. And she was like, okay, so what are your needs in this situation? And I was like, I can't have needs. (laughs) Like, looking back, I'm laughing so hard in that moment. Like, little baby Sarah just thought she was a burden for having needs. So looking at like, what is the fear behind sharing this need? What does it mean about you? And then figuring out just the tiniest, tiniest baby step of communicating your need is where I start with clients. And I say the tiniest because sometimes people just need to think about what the reality of actually sharing that need would be before they can even start to vocalize it. And then really addressing the fear behind it. And oftentimes when I'm working with clients, like, <clears throat> we need to address, like, is this person actually someone that you could feel safe saying this need to? And if not, we're going to really address, like, what are the possible ways that they are going to react? Because if it were, if we're working with someone that also has an insecure attachment type, I want my client to feel as safe as possible, especially when they're starting out this new method of communication. So it's, it's the tiniest little baby steps. What helped you?
0: Yeah, it was the it was honestly walking through the scenarios like you said of like what's what are all the scenarios that could happen, right? This person could not answer you. They could just say thanks for telling me. I appreciate it. They could take a day to respond and then do this. They could tell you to go fuck yourself. Like there's so many ways yes. that this person could respond. And so walking through those scenarios and almost being like what would I do in all these scenarios really helped. But also, I think what helped a lot was being able to the question you would always ask me is like, what are you making that mean about you? Or like, what does that mean about you? And that was something that started to help me because not only was I scared that this person might abandon me and I've dealt with this in all my relationships is like, I'm scared to communicate how I'm feeling because this person could just get up and walk away because I did have relationships in my 20s where someone would just ghost me after dating for a month or never speak to me again. And so that fear was very real. Like this person could just leave me. So I'd rather just not rock the boat and we're going to stay quiet, and they're not going to leave versus again, zooming out and being like, obviously, you need to communicate your needs. But I would tell you, I understand I need to communicate them. But it feels like it's going to make me look weak, that I'm like way too invested. And this was like a very casual, non exclusive relationship. It's going to make me look stupid for caring this much. It's going to make me look like, the fear that every girl has crazy unhinged jealous like i had all these fears and i'm i'm curious for you when i was telling you those things like how do you start to help clients reconcile that that fear and the the perception of how you are going to feel when you express your needs so these are like such
1: common core wounds. That's what we call them. I think this is from cognitive cognitive um behavioral therapy. So these core wounds are just these are, these beliefs that we've stored from childhood. And these are um based on like repetitive experiences growing up. Somewhere along the way we learned that if you have needs, you are weak, you are a you know, a burden to others, you are insert the like fill in the blank here. And when we start to actually like unearth these beliefs, what we have to do is actually reprogram our subconscious to believe the opposite about ourselves. And this is like the fun work because actually the subconscious is like, it's so smart, but it's so dumb at the same time. Like it really wants to keep you safe. So anytime like you have a negative experience, you have to put in 20 positive experiences in order for the, your subconscious to like, let that one negative experience go. So it's like, if you get in a car accident, your subconscious is like, this is not safe. And then you have to have like, get in that car and be safe 20 more times till you actually believe like, Oh, okay, I can get back in this car and like, not be freaked out about it anymore. And that's if you're like really thoughtful and like feeling feelings of safety when you're in the car. So, the same is true for negative reactions or like these core beliefs that we carried as children. And so, what happens is, as adults, we do subconscious reprogramming to rewrite these beliefs. And this is like putting in the reps. This is like going to Brayton gym. Like it's it, this is like, it's not about what you're lifting. It's about how many times you're lifting. It's about like doing this consistently repeti- like repetition is a key. And what happens when you're doing subconscious reprogramming is you're putting in a new belief in the way that your subconscious speaks, which is through emotion and pictures. So that's why I say like your subconscious is dumb. Because it's just like, oh, something bad happened. Now we're going to freak out. But it's actually really smart because it's trying to help keep you safe as much as possible. So by speaking to it in emotion and through like visual images, you're actually rewriting this like new program like, oh, I am loved. I am powerful. I am like, fill in the blank. I am loved. I am likable. I'm connected. Connected is a really big one for the dismissive, avoidant, or accepted you're just like putting in a new script for your subconscious to believe so that eventually after 21 days, which is the, that's the time it takes to create a new new neural pathway. You're just like basically putting this new belief in your brain so that you're looking around for proof of that idea rather than proof of, Oh, you're so right. I am a burden. I am weak. I can't possibly share these things with you instead you're like, no, I am loved. And now I'm going to like seek validation of like, I am loved.
0: And you're going to show me that it's really profound. I love it. Oh, it so is. That's the work we did together where you would tell me I was very resistant. I was like, I'll do it later. Like, I don't know, I don't have time. And it's like, just set a timer for five minutes, mm. write these things out. And it helped me start to, like you said, find evidence and use a filter through how I went through my day of like, oh, look, like I'm the one that created this dynamic at, dinner and everyone is connecting, Like I am powerful in connecting people. And so why wouldn't I be powerful in connecting in a relationship? So that was really helpful because we did the work while, again, I was in this situation. Something that you taught me too that I think will be really helpful for a lot of listeners is the casualness of relationships in 2023. I'm on TikTok and we see now the word situationship, imaginationship, like there's so many funny ways to describe it, but at the root of it, I heard a podcast host say this and it really resonated with me. He was like, whenever I see people in casual relationships, he goes, I just think that one person is sipping champagne, living their best life, and the other person sacrificed or compromised something to get closer to that person. And I know some people will disagree and be like, no, I've been in amazing casual relationships. For me, I felt like casual literally meant you were not boyfriend, girlfriend. And so you couldn't expect anything of it. You can't Mm -hmm. ask for your needs to be met. You can't share your true feelings. You can't make any demands of an exclusive relationship. So you just got to be the cool girl, right? That's the archetype that a lot of us have been sold. Like that's what a guy wants is the cool, chill girl. She goes with the flow, doesn't ask for much. And so when I got myself in this casual situationship, when you were telling me, Hey, I think you need to express your needs to this person. I was like, does Sarah know what casual is? I'm not his girlfriend. I can't say that. Like, you know what I mean? Like she, what is she telling me to do? Like, we're not even, I've known him for three weeks. Like what could I possibly do? And you really helped me reframe the idea that like casual is different to everybody. There are people that are casual that when we're there together, they are married they act like a married couple. And when they're not together, they don't ask, don't tell, they go do their separate thing. There's other people that are casual where it's like, Hey, we hang out during the day and we hook up at night and you know, that's, we have an expiration date on this and we're leaving at the end of the month. And that's that. So when you reframed it to me of like, you actually get to choose how your casual relationship goes, that was such a huge mindset shift for me. Because again, I feel like I've been sold the whole cool girl narrative of like, just play it cool. And eventually they will, they will ask you to be their girlfriend. When in reality, when I ask for what I need, I usually get what I want quicker. So can you talk a little bit about just like, the issues with the cool girl method of like not expressing your needs and especially in casual relationships. Yes. I mean, I feel like you just totally laid it out. Like what
1: I see the, the beauty of a casual, casual relationship is that you get to practice. I see them as like their practice partners. It's like your practice boyfriend, your practice girlfriend, you know, whoever you're dating, like You are practicing how to ask for your needs to be met, how to receive your needs, because that's a whole other thing. Like if you're if you've got stories around receiving what you actually need, then you got to work on that as well. So I really see them as practice partners. And so you're really like exploring what it means to really get your needs met. But to answer your question, so I think the cost, like there's huge costs for not showing up and asking for your needs to be met. You are wearing away at the relationship with yourself, most importantly, like you are showing yourself like, oh, okay, you know, I don't deserve that. You're so right. Like, I'm just gonna settle. I'm I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be fine with less, which I don't like don't get too caught up in that story. Like that is just that's one moment of many moments. But like it's wearing, when you're doing it consistently, like that's wearing away at the relationship with yourself. And so what's happening is your needs aren't getting met. You you don't think that you're worth them or that you deserve them, whatever the story is. And what's happening is you're allowing someone to treat you in a way that like isn't, it just doesn't work for you. And your needs are so unique to you. Like they are, (laughs) some people have very similar needs, but They are unique to you, and whatever you need is so valid and so important. And I really just want to hammer that home because I remember when we were working together, and I hope this is okay to share. Stop me if it's not. Like, you were, um, you needed a lot of reassurance from this person. And I felt like you weren't, you were like, no, I can't ask for reassurance. It's not okay. And it's like, no, no, whoever you're dating, you are a person that's going to need a lot of reassurance. And this is a common theme for anxious, preoccupied people. So, whoever you're dating, you need to feel like you are okay. Like you are safe to ask for that reassurance and you need to feel like you're getting that reassurance and that is okay. Like it is okay for them to be like, Oh, I know that you are feeling a little bit anxious right now. And maybe you're afraid that like, I'm going to leave you. And I just want to let you know, I'm here for you. Like, I love you. I, you know, you're safe with me, whatever it is that like, whatever the words are that will help you feel safe in that moment. And maybe it's just a handhold maybe it's just like a nice little cuddle <laughs> like whatever it is it could be like it doesn't have to be words it could actually be a physical touch or something else that will just help your body know like okay we're we're feeling reassured right now like we're getting a little bit of love so yeah so there's a huge cost and i think there's a huge 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 benefits to actually getting your needs met like at the end of the day you're 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 going to just feel so much happier like, what What would you say are, like, the benefits from once you, once you actually started to get your needs
0: met, even on your own? Yeah, it's – I think what's so powerful is when you realize that, A, you can meet your own needs and, B, ask for them, you realize how much of a dynamic you play in what your relationship is going to be. I think in the past, and I think this is just common messaging women receive, is, like, you kind of just need to, like – Like the man's going to come pick you. He's going to chase you. He's going to hunt you. So you're like lucky when he does. And so it just feels like that messaging of like, oh, I can't mess this up because this could be my one, right? Like we always are sold the idea of the one and a soulmate. However, I feel like that puts the power in a lot of the, opposite partners hands and they take the driver's seat. And I realized like, I've never taken the driver's seat. I've never been like, Hey, wait, I get to create this dynamic too." a relationship is two people. So when we did the the needs exercise, and I figured out how to meet them myself and how to ask for them. My experience was I did not die when I asked for them. I'm alive recording this podcast with you. The (laughs) second one is that, the dynamic actually turned out how I wanted it to like the way I envisioned a casual relationship while I was traveling to turn out actually turned out the exact way I visualized because I was able to express my needs and get what I needed out of that casualness. Now, Of course, things were triggering. It's when I say this, it wasn't like an easy breezy fling and everything worked out. There were tough moments. I remember I I messaged you once and I had like a panic attack at the gym because I was just so overthinking and I was like spiraling and I have I still deal with that. I still go into spirals, but to your point, like the cost of not doing that was okay. So now this person's just going to be in the driver's seat and you're just going to have to let everything happen to you. And that's going to be worse when you don't express yourself and this person's going to do whatever they want and you're going to feel like you completely abandon yourself. Oh, so well put. Abandoning
1: yourself. Like no one wants that. We really want to keep our relationship with ourselves as sacred as possible and as consistent as possible.
0: A hundred percent. And I like what you said too that sometimes it's, I, I think maybe I'm just speaking for anxious people or my experience, having these conversations feels like we need to sit down, we need to block off two hours to talk. This is going to be an argument where someone's going to leave the room. Like I just always have this visual that talking to someone or expressing my needs is just going to be a big ordeal where you also help me realize like how can we make this playful or maybe more lighthearted or fun like maybe it's just while you're walking around getting ice cream and you just bring it up like using the ice cream as an analogy or something like there's ways to bring up your needs that aren't like hey we need to talk right now <laughs> come over like and i think that's what my that's what my thought was. And to your point of just being a hug, it actually reminds me, my last serious partner, he was German and he was a very secure attachment style. Mm. And I remember one time we had argued and I... We, went, we lived together. And so we went to bed and I don't like going to bed angry, Ugh. but I was so triggered and upset that I was like, Oh, I'm not talking to him about this. And I remember like <laughs> inching away from him and sleeping on the edge of the bed. And then I was like, I don't want to go to bed feeling like this. So I told him like, Hey, I really don't want to go to bed angry. Like, can we just figure this out or whatever? And then I think I had been working with a coach who had said something of like, maybe you can just ask him for a hug. And I was like, Asking a German for a hug is—that's hilarious. (laughs) Like, lol. (laughs) And I remember we were—he—he was telling me something about how he was upset with how I handled that thing or something. And I was like, I know you're upset, and I—I want to talk about this tomorrow. But because we're going to bed, I was like, can we just—can you just give me a hug? Like, that's all I need right now. And I was so scared to say it, and he didn't say anything, and he just gave me the biggest hug. And then we were fine. We actually had sex after that and connected and, like, went to bed totally fine. And we woke up and he's like, I'm good to go. Like, let's just keep that in the past. And I was like, whoa, that's a weird example. Like, that worked. It worked. It worked. worked. Acting for a hug and regulating myself, like, it worked. So 100% agree. I have a question when people have maybe – I don't want to say opposing needs, but opposing ways to cope. So anxious and avoidant is probably the classic example. And we've heard about this called the anxious avoidant trap. Can you explain what that is? And does that dynamic ever work out? And if so, how, how does it work?
1: Oh, great question. So the anxious avoidant trap is when an anxious preoccupied and a dismissive avoidant get into a relationship with each other. Insert fearful avoidant anywhere in there. Like fearful avoidance, you're here too. Don't feel like you're lost. I always feel like the fearful avoidant gets lost. So that's why I'm just like, I'm thinking about you. You're part of this too. So what happens when an anxious, um, preoccupied, and dismissive avoidant get into a relationship with each other is they have different needs. They need different reassurances. They have different relationship expectations. And that's really where the big rift starts to happen. And so the anxious person is oftentimes driven towards the dismissive avoidant to help soothe anytime there's like a triggering uh, moment or they really need that reassurance, they're like, I'm going to go towards them for this. And then the dismissive avoidant when they feel like they are being put upon, when someone is like too clingy, when someone is really just like in their space, they have a thing about um, space, like they are driven then away from that person and they retreat to solitude. And so you can see that automatically this is this is an unhealthy relationship. But what happens is they're so they have two different subconscious comfort zones. So, this is a term from the personal development school. The subconscious comfort zone is like where you're comfortable in a relationship. So, earlier you were talking about like, okay, I'm really comfortable with inconsistent guys that are not really showing up for me. That was your subconscious comfort zone, which you have now changed. But when you're an insecure attachment type, you're used to either someone leaving and retreating, hence the like, I'm going to keep going after them. Or I'm using a lot of hand gestures right now, which no one is going to be able to see, (laughs) but I'm going to keep doing it. Or if you're dismissive avoidant, you're used to someone like really coming at you and being like, okay, what's, what's going on? Like, why aren't you doing this? Um, I need this from you. And, and all of a sudden you're like, I feel like I'm being swallowed. Like, I don't feel like there's any space for me to express myself. I'm not feeling safe either. And the reason that these two end up in a relationship with each other is because they're used to that behavior, sadly. And then on top of that, they're actually – we're driven towards the other type to actually learn from them. That's like the bigger overarching reason and like kind of hysterical cosmic joke of like why these two opposing attachment styles often end up with each other is – we're trying to learn from each other. The anxious preoccupied is trying to learn how to be independent from the dismissive avoidant. And the dismissive avoidant is trying to learn how to be safe in community. There's some beautiful gifts that these attachment styles are really trying to teach each other. I'm just going to add the fearful avoidant. The fearful avoidant, I think really is here to show us like how to thrive in that chaos how to um to live in this type of like up and down inconsistent environment and still thrive. So I think that that's what we're trying to learn from each other and if we're in if we find ourselves in this relationship which is so common. I hear so many anxious preoccupieds being like, yeah, it's just dismissive avoidant people out there. And if you read the book attached, they which I think really skews anxious preoccupied, um they talk about how there's a lot of dismissive avoidance out there in the dating pool, which yes, it's true. But also there's, there's so many people out there. Like (laughs) there's so many secure people out there. Like, like, it's just, to me, that mindset is really coming from, um, a lack of abundance and, and not really believing that there's, you know, the right person out there for you. So, I try not to get too, again, I try not to get stuck in the numbers. I try not to get too focused on like, but doing the math. But if you find yourself in this situation, what I would suggest is to start to learn more about your attachment style. Obviously, you can get coaching. That's, you know, that's an obvious one. But you can also just start reading books. I really recommend the book called Polysecure by Jessica Fern. She was just on my podcast. And this book is about polyamory. So if you're not into polyamory, don't worry about that. The first chapter is like one of the most beautiful writings I've ever read about attachment style. And it can really explain to you why you have these different strategies and these different habits. Um, but just starting to learn about it and start to put together the, um, the words around the different strategies that you're using. And then I would try to bring this up with your partner in a way that they're going to feel safe. So if you're dating a dismissive avoidant, try to say something like, I'm not trying to criticize but I've just discovered this thing, and I think that maybe we could both work on it. Try to figure out, like, what is their big pay point, and how can you address that before you even start to bring up something new? And then I would just try to figure out ways that you can both work on it. Um, I've seen clients make huge changes in 60 to 90 days. Like, you can really, really turn a lot of bad relationship habits. I'm using quotes around that. Um Around very quickly using these strategies, so uh, there's still hope for you. And if your partner eventually isn't interested in meeting your needs or doing this work, I want you to consider like, is this person actually meeting my needs, and do I want to continue a relationship with them? And then um, once you figure that out, try to figure like, okay, what am I gonna do? What is my new What is my new tactic here to? continue just to live the life that I want to live and um, get the love and support that I know that I need.
0: Oh, I love that. If any of you watch the ultimatum on Netflix, the queer (laughs) edition, I haven't watched (sighs) it yet. (sighs) Oh my gosh. It is such a good, like live example of attachment styles in Uh. action. And there's a couple that's on there that one is 100% like fearful. Oh, what is what fearful, fearful avoidant, avoidant? fearful avoidant, dismissive avoidant where anytime her partner even brings up something remotely critical, mm. she just starts getting defensive and runs mm. away. So maybe that's mm. defense. Maybe that's dismissive. I don't know.
1: Hard to say. Yeah, it could be dismissive avoidant or fearful avoidant, one of the two, but probably dismissive avoidant.
0: And it's over truly the tiniest thing. She'll be like, well, you know, Aww. I just thought like, you were gonna cook dinner more this week. And she gets defensive and she's like, Wait, I've cooked you dinner before. And oh, da da da. And then she'll just get up and start literally packing her bags and leaving and like oh. exiting the room and just totally leaving the situation. And the other girl will be like, What are you doing? Like, why are you leaving me? I'm just telling you something. It's not even, I'm not even yelling at you. Like, why are mm. you? And you can just see that that is an example of like the anxious and avoidant together. However, spoiler alert, everyone. So, pause this if you don't want to hear what happens at the end. They end up together. They get engaged. And at the reunion, the host asks, how did you work on these issues? And it was very interesting because they did make it work because they communicated their needs. And Mm. the anxious person said that her partner who was avoidant started to close the gap of the space mm-hmm. she needed. So, you know, she used to leave for like three hours and not come back. And now she's closed that gap a little bit. So she now maybe comes back after like 30 minutes and not oh totally God, leaves huge. the premises. And then the other girl was like, and I realized the way I open my statements maybe doesn't need to be so critical. Like it's almost Mm. like the sandwich compliment. Like, let me give you a compliment Mm, and then deliver the criticism, et cetera, which is a good way for anybody to deliver criticism. But it was just so interesting because out of all the couples, I kept saying they're not going to last. Like they're 100% Mm. breaking up and because of their communication and realizing how they can still honor each other's needs while also meeting their own, you need to watch the show. I'm like that is a perfect wait. example. I'll do an episode this. about this. I can't. Yes, wait. please yeah. do. Yeah. So we're also talking a lot about being attached, right? Like the book is attached. Mm-hmm. We're calling it attachment theory. It's anxious attached. It's fearful, avoidant attached. Da da da. So what do you do when you get in a situation or a relationship or any dynamic where you want to detach? Like that's, mm-hmm. I think the work is like. I know logically there are certain partners that I shouldn't be with. One of the examples is the person that, you know, when we were talking and working together, I was like, I logically know on paper that this is not my person. I could write out a million reasons why we wouldn't work out. But why do I still feel so attached to them? Do you know why that is? Yeah. Yes.
1: So what happens when we are starting to date with someone, especially when we start having sex with them? If you have a high physical need, like you're going to get attached. And what's happening is this person is meeting so many of your needs at lightning speed that your subconscious, your body, like all the parts of you are like, I, it's almost like a drug. It's like, Oh, I need this more. Like, this is really like a hit of dopamine every time I see them, like, I'm just loving this. And so what happens when you realize like, oh, there's some red flags here, maybe some pink flags or maybe like just circumstances or you just don't want to date this person anymore. The important thing to do is make a list of like, all of the needs that they're meeting. And we did this together. I think this is really, really hard work, but it's so important. So like figure out like what needs are they meeting? Is it discovery? Is it fun? Is it, are they making you laugh? Um, are they meeting a lot of your physical touch needs? Oh, that's, I mean, they're common things in relationships, physical touch, intimacy, love, and uh, for um, anxious, preoccupied attention is actually like something that a romantic partner is meeting their need a lot for, because you're having these conversations with them and they're listening to you. You're sharing vulnerably. And what happens when an anxious preoccupied goes home and they're by themselves, they're not giving themselves that, that attention because they're so focused on the other person. So listing out the needs and understanding like, okay, how can I meet each of these one by one so that I can start meeting them on my own? And I'm not necessarily looking to this other person to meet them for me. And that's like the first part of just starting. Like once you start to meet them, all of a sudden your body's like, okay, we can detach a little bit. Like we don't need to have, we don't need them to meet these needs because we're meeting them now on our own. And so I'm curious, actually, if you could share what really helped you when you were doing this.
0: Yeah. Like you said, we wrote them out and we started to ideate. How am I going to replace some of these needs? I think some of them were pretty simple. You know, discovery is like I don't mind going to new restaurants by myself or with friends. So like that one was easy or knowledge. Like I'm always listening to new podcasts and reading articles. So I'm like, that one was pretty easy. I think the hardest for me was the physical intimacy Mm. and the sexual connection, right? Like that Mm. was something that to me, I was like, how am I going to, and the attention, right? Like I'm not going to text myself. Hey, good morning. (laughs) Like It was just like, I didn't understand. And so something that you helped me ideate was like physical touch. What are ways you can gain physical touch out in the world that might not even be with a partner or someone romantic. And I thought of like massage or a foot massage or getting my hair done like a blowout because they massage your head. And there are so many other ways. I will say I still find it hard to replace cuddling with someone that you Mm -hmm. have a crush on. I don't know that that is ever going to be like 100% replaced. But I told you this on your podcast too. I started like sleeping with a pillow as if I was like cuddling it. And I kind of make my bed set up to feel like there's like someone there, which I think just helps regulate the nervous system. I love Um, that. Masturbation, my vibrator, great job doing that. And I also think um, asking friends like you know, when you're going through things like give you a hug and like, Hey, I need you to like sit next to me and I just need a hug right now. I think that was really powerful and something that I probably underrated as meeting my needs. So yeah, I'm curious if you have more ideas for people that are going through this. They're like, I don't know how to replace having sex with someone and cuddling Uh, and having that physical intimacy.
1: Oh yeah. I mean, you just said the big ones, like break it down. Like, what is it exactly? If it, can you, um, get way, can you, renew your relationship with your vibrator can you like get comfortable with back with your hand like whatever it is like how can you pleasure yourself so that you feel like you've got that power on your own um i love that you said that you made your bed like set up for two like that's actually like what a beautiful like your brain is like oh yeah like there's gonna be another person like that's really cool um you mentioned too like um hugging a pillow. I think that that like a body pillow like that can give you that reactive like pressure on your skin that can kind of give you that a small hit. I mean, again, these are all like, it's not the real thing, but we're trying to get there. I've heard of people like wrapping a body pillow in an electric blanket so that they actually like felt like a warm body was next to them. And they would just like sleep with their back to it. I'm like, oh, that's so smart. Like any little thing to trick your brain into into getting the real thing. You also mentioned booking a massage, getting your, when you're getting your blowout, like really loving and enjoying the part of that blowout that was like the massage part of it. So part of this is honestly, even just like, being conscious of when you're receiving the need. So you can be like, Ooh, I got that today. Like, Ooh, yeah, I did get a massage today. Whereas like, if we're not really thinking about getting our needs met, we can get a massage and like, let it go. We're like, Oh my God, I'm just still so hung up on my ex or I'm still so like, my heart is broken. And so we're not necessarily like realizing when people are meeting that need for us. So really just being conscious about it and accepting it when we are getting it.
0: Oh, completely agree and I think really what it boils down to and you can tell me if I'm wrong is like regulating your nervous system yes because I know some people are probably like a pillow and an electric blanket like that's so silly and it's like (laughs) obviously I'm not having a relationship with my pillow it's just the the (laughs) regulation of like having that comfort next to me because comfort is a high need for me helps calm me down and being someone that's anxious in relationships I tend to feel it in my body. So it's like, how can I regulate? And it seems like that's kind of what needs are. Needs are like regulating yourself. Yes, exactly.
1: And that's why they're all so different. We all have such different ways of regulating ourselves. Yeah. I have one client that just like loves golf. And so he's like, he beforehand, he would get, (laughs) he would have this like love hate relationship with golf where he would get so frustrated because he's like, I'm so bad at golf. And I'm like, but this is like meeting a lot of your needs. You're going out into nature. It's physical activity, it's health. And it's also like, um, knowledge, like you're gaining that knowledge. You're learning, learning and knowledge are like kind of two, one in the, one in the same need for me anyway. And so, um, he realized that like, okay, when I'm out on the course, like, I need to like realize like all of the other needs it's meeting rather than just focusing on the fact that I'm like being really competitive and I'm not really like good at it. So it kind of changed the way that he was meeting his need every day for like nature and health and yeah, learning. It's huge.
0: It's huge. So beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. And here, are many little tweaks too. Yeah. Oh oh my God. I know. Shout out all the guys that are doing this work. I know it's it's hard, but it's so worth it. Yeah, I have cool. a random question that popped up in my mind that I was thinking of when we were talking about how babies develop these attachment styles. You know, this study was done with moms and babies. I'm assuming there's moms that are listening right now that are freaking out, that they're like – oh my gosh, how do I make my baby have a secure attachment style? Is there anything that moms or caregivers can do to control that? Or is it just kind of luck of the draw, whatever you, like it just happens? I think it's both.
1: Like from what I remember someone, because I just had a baby and you've probably heard in the background, so apologies, but this has been on my mind a lot. So I've been thinking through like a lot of the things. And I remember somebody, I read some parenting book that was like, honestly, some of this is just the luck of the draw that you get a kid whose temperament matches with your ability to parent. And I was just like, dang, <laughs> like, of course I'm like thinking about my parents. I'm like, what was like, what matched up? What did not match up? You know, cause I had a lot of issues. And so I've been thinking about parenting this beautiful boy. And, um, first of all, the mom guilt is real. So I just want you to like, process that. And I want you to make a bigger container for your guilt because it's never going to go away. It's just going to get bigger. Like when they go to school, I know I'm going to be like, I can't do all the activities. I'm a working mom. Like I'm not going to be able to go to 11, 11 AM for their theater performance. Like I just, I'm not going to be able to do that. So, um, Making a space to process your emotions, because emo- processing your emotions is the key to life, and making space for their emotions. I think these are like the two biggest thing in parenting. I'm only an eight-month-old parent, so I'm sure there's a lot more, but this is what's coming up for me right now, especially as we're about to enter um, the toddler phase is making space for any of his feelings to feel safe so how i've been practicing that now is anytime he's crying especially before when he was like an infant um he was like he would cry for three hours at night and i would just be like i don't know what to do i'm just such a bad mom you know like i'm spiraling and so i was like oh you know what i can do here the one thing i can do is actually tell him i love you like i love you so much right now you're so safe. You can have these big, big, big feelings. Like it is okay, and I love you through them. And like sometimes it's really hard to like hear that piercing scream, but I want him to know that it is okay to cry. I actually have this really cool sweatshirt from Smile Cult. It's called. Uh, it's on it. It just says "Cool Kids Cry." And when I bought it, my mom was like, "Oh, that's so funny because you have a baby." And I'm like, "No, mom, this is like my statement in this family of it is okay to cry." And I'm like, I'm making it okay for myself right now because crying was like not safe growing up, making it okay for myself right now. And I'm making that space for
0: my son. So try- I'm trying to do that as much as possible. Oh my gosh. I love that. I feel like we oh. need to do a whole part two. There are so many oh other God. questions that I have. There's so many <sighs> dynamics to explore. So if you all want to hear part two, let Sarah and I know we can definitely yeah. set that up because there's so much we could cover. But I do have one final question that I ask all my guests. And this podcast is called In My Non-Expert Opinion. So what is something that you're not an expert in that you wish that you were?
1: Oh, oh, my God. Uh, I mean, if I could go back to school, I'd definitely study psychology. Like, what a miss. (laughs) (laughs) What a miss. Yeah, but I honestly, another one that is like totally outside of my field, so just to be like totally unrelated, is anatomy. Like I really wish I was an expert in anatomy because yes. the more I learn about the body, the more I'm just like, we are such intelligent human beings. Our bodies are amazing. And to be able to like identify like the hormones that are affecting this like bone structure and like just going through pregnancy and the change of my body, I'm like – holy wow, there is so much going on here that I'm just not even aware of. So that would be, and I think anatomy would be my, my area.
0: I love that. I really do feel like they should just include anatomy and like hormonal education in yes. this some type of uh, traditional education. It's insane yes. that we barely know what's going on with our bodies. Barely,
1: yeah. Oh, it's crazy, especially so, as women. Like we've got a 100%. whole complex system going on down there that like
0: we're not even talking about. No, that's a whole other like, can of worms and i'm like let's get into that but i agree with the anatomy thing i love that and sarah i know people are going to want to run to work with you so can you let them know how to get in touch with you how to get yes. in touch with your work
1: yeah yeah yeah. okay so if you are interested in getting in touch with me you can find me at sarahcohan.com cohan.com that's s-a-r-a-h-c-o-h-a-n.com got a link to my podcast so you can just start listening to weekly episodes about attachment. I've got an attachment style quiz on there so you can just take the quiz, figure out which attachment types you resonate with most. Um, And then I also want to offer, if you're interested in coaching, there's like a button, the coaching button on there. You can book a free discovery call with me and learn more about your attachment type. But I also have a free download for everyone, for all of your listeners. And I put this, it's available on my website, but I put it specifically together for your audience. Because when you and I were working together, I felt like the communication scripts and like how to share those like requests for needs to be met were just like so needed. And so um so I put together a a, do- a download and it's called um secure relationship scripts. And I put together just a couple of scripts to use based on the five love languages. So um if they're if your love language is touch, words of affirmation, um time, like uh time spent with others, gifts or acts of service. Like I put together scripts for you to use the, like in the moment, in that tough moment with your person, when you need that hug, or if you just need to tell them that you're doing a good job, or if you actually need them to like bring you over a Starbucks coffee with like a a pump of like caramel syrup in it. Like these are all things that can be really tough to ask for in the moment. So I have found just having that script ready to go at the ready that's lighthearted, like you said, and like not necessarily like we need to sit down and like have this really intense conversation about it. Just really easy to say and quick scripts. So you can go through the list and be like, okay, which one of the five love languages do I identify with the most? Which one do I often like need? Do I feel like a need in the moment of like a tough moment? And then a couple of like scripts to use in that tough moment. So if you're interested in that, you can download it at sarahcohan.com forward slash free tools. And that's plural free tools.
0: Amazing. I'm going to plug all that in the show notes. I am 100% downloading the free scripts because I know I will continue to need those. So thank you for building that. (laughs) And you guys need to check out her podcast, Lit AF. You talk about attachment theory in depth. You've had so many incredible guests on and it shared your own experiences. So I know I said I wanted to do a part two, but you guys can also just listen to Sarah's podcast and get like 50 (laughs) episodes about it too. So run to her podcast and thank you so much, Sarah, not only for coming on today, but for the work that you and I did. It was so appreciated. Oh my gosh. I
1: thoroughly enjoyed it it was so profound. It was so fun working with you. And thank you for having me on. What a pleasure. I really hope you enjoyed hearing this from Chelsea. She just shares so vulnerably. And I really, really appreciate it and really wanted to share this episode with you on the podcast. So I hope you enjoyed it. Like I say in the show, you can go visit sarahcohan.com forward slash free tools to get those scripts that I talk about. The scripts can just help you when you're in a bind or in a tough moment. And you just want a little guidance on like how to proceed next in a more positive, loving, supportive way. And if you're interested in learning more about my coaching program, I'd love to share it with you. I help folks that want to create secure attachment in their life. So if you are wanting to end old patterns like people-pleasing, not sharing needs, not communicating boundaries, I'm here to help you. I coach in a one-on-one container, typically for about six months. And I help people just transform the way that they are in relationships and the, like, the way they create relationships. I tend to help people that are going through a breakup or really stuck on their ex And I just help them to uplevel your beliefs about yourself and find the person that you not only deserve, but that you have been dreaming about. Like the person that you were like, Oh, I really want... Oh, if only I can have that. I wish I could have that. Like, I'm going to help you go get that. Because it's possible. It's totally possible. It can happen. And I want that for you. So if you're interested in learning about this program, you can book a free discovery call at Sarah Cohan, dot com forward slash coaching. And you can book a time slot there. I look forward to seeing you or hearing from you. And I hope to have many more future podcast episodes just like this. Until next week, thank you so much.